So we come to the second uh, Minor Prophets in our uh, series uh, looking at these 12 last books of the Old Testament. Uh, We actually know virtually nothing about Joel at all, except the fact there are 12 other Joels in the Old Testament. I really wish that this was the the earliest of the Joels, but he isn't, and it really spoils a nice punchline for me that uh, this was the first Joel that the angels did sing, but it wasn't, so I can't use that punchline. But he is one of 13 uh, Joels altogether in the Old Testament. We know nothing about him except that he was the son of Pethuel, but we know nothing about him neither. It's also difficult to place uh, where Joel took place, but all the signs point to the fact that he was one of the earliest of the prophets, uh, which is why he's probably placed next to Hosea prophesying probably about eight or nine centuries before Christ. So we're looking at this morning, it's a very ancient text. What we do know, that whilst Hosea, as we looked at last week, prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, Joel prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. But like Israel, Judah are turned away from God. This nation we call Israel today was separated into two distinct nations for about four centuries and during that time uh, Judah had 20 monarchs, I say monarchs because 19 were kings, there was one queen Athaliah and she was the worst of the lot but of those 20 monarchs only eight of them were godly. The result was that that nation spiralled away from God and turned their back on God and this spiritual nation that King David had created with God's help of course uh, became a very secular nation it became a a nation that worshipped pagan idols and false gods so we see in Joel that there are three themes that come through as he prophesies into this godless nation firstly Judah's disobedience and ignorance of God would result in God's judgment upon the land and upon its people God's judgment But God's judgment, however, would bring about Judah's repentance. There was an invitation and an opportunity for God's people to return to the Lord. And this would in turn result in the restoration of God's land to God's people and the restoration of God's covenant relationship with his people. And as we've already seen in these prophecies, God is a a just God who will make his people accountable to him. But this judgment would result in God taking his people out of the land and exiling them. In other words, if there can't be God's people in God's land, then God will take his people out of that land. And this judgment would eventually lead to that. Israel would be exiled by Assyria and Judah would be exiled to Babylonia. And Joel portrays the judgment in many graphic ways including this image. Look at this tremendous dynamic verse. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What a dramatic uh, visual uh, verse that is, this great warning uh, to the people of Judah. And yet Joel, like the other minor prophets, are also full of hope. And God invites his disobedient children to repent 
and to return to the Lord. Look at this verse in contrast. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Suddenly there's a verse full of glorious hope and optimism and expectation. What a verse that is. You'd think it was a New Testament verse, wouldn't you? You'd think it's probably out of one of Paul's letters. And yet it isn't. It was written more than eight centuries before Jesus was born, looking to a time when there would become a saviour who would come to the world, that that there would be a time when not just the Jews and not just the prophets and the, the godly people, but there would come a time when Jews and Gentiles and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even in this minor prophet, even in this ancient text, there's this big pointing finger to a time when the Saviour would come. And that's all because prophets like Joel were two things. They were foretellers, but they were also foretellers. Joel spoke out boldly, speaking forth the message of Yahweh, a foreteller. But he also spoke of a better day in the future. And as a foreteller, he told of a day when all would come to the Lord to be saved. A day when at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, the book of Joel sends out a chilling warning and speaks of God's judgment on a nation and a people who have spiralled away from him. God does warn them that he will exile them out of his land. But Joel is also full of hope and full of the opportunity for repentance and the promise of restoration of God's people in God's land. It's a stark dual message, one of, one of judgment and yet one of hope. And put them together, it can be summed up, Joel, with this pithy phrase, shape up or ship out. It's a great phrase, isn't it? But it just sums up the whole message, the whole prophecy of uh, Joel. As a people, they need to shape up or God will ship them out. It's an opportunity for God's people to be God's people, to be God's covenanted people. Otherwise, God would ship them out into a foreign land. Joel opens his prophecy by giving an account of a catastrophic plague of locusts. And although this could just be an imaginary vision that Joel shared, there's historical evidence that there was a plague during these days, a a dramatic, devastating plague which, which only comes along every now and again, a plague that would devastate the land. And Joel mentions different kinds of locusts, locusts that swarm around, locusts that hop, locusts that take to the air. And we, we tend to think, don't we, of, of, of this kind of plague being a real Old Testament thing. You know, it, it points back to the Exodus, doesn't it? One of the, the plagues there was a plague of locusts. And here we have it again. And we tend to think, well, of all the d- dreadful things that's happening in our world today, what we don't get is locusts. And just as I was thinking about this and, and doing some preparation on Joel, I watched one of the episodes of uh, BBC's Planet Earth 2. I don't know if you saw that. There was one episode on deserts. And they happened to capture a very rare event, perhaps the only time it's been captured on film, and that is an incredible swarm, an incredible plague of locusts. They reckon there was about 7 billion locusts that consumed around 4,000 tonnes of food a day. And I say it's, a, it's 
thought to be perhaps the first time this was captured on film. In fact, one of the, the crew, the TV crew, actually said that it was uh, an experience which was apocalyptic. Interesting that he should use that word. It was just an apocalyptic event. And I thought, just as a break from me speaking, you'd like to see just a two-minute clip of that episode just now. Thought you might like to see that just before lunch. Um, interesting, isn't it, that Joel refers to locusts that swarm and hop and take to the air. Isn't it amazing how the different locusts, uh, it is a reality as well. And in the first chapter of Joel, we said last week, didn't we, that Hosea opens with a, a, you know, catching the attention. He starts off by saying, God's told me to marry a prostitute, and you can't help but read the rest. And Joel starts off by saying, there was this devastating plague of locusts, really grabbing the attention of his readers and hearers. Also, he talks about a drought and talks about a, f- a fire. In other words, Joel's painted this picture of a land which is devastated. And it was a physical picture, but it spoke of a spiritual devastation of the land as well. A land that needed a wake-up call to the nation. And this, this is what we, we read in chapter 1, verse 15. Alas for that day... For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. This was a visual foretaste of what could come to the nation. It's interesting to read this because I don't know about you, I find it quite difficult to talk about God being a God of destruction. The God who, as the songs have reminded, the God who loved the world, the God who loves us, can also be a God who is about destruction But if God is an almighty God, and if God is a sovereign God, we can't just limit God to those things that are pleasing and pleasant. Joel, the name Joel, actually means the Lord is God, or the Lord is almighty God. And Joel is saying this of our God, that one who is just and brings judgment to bear on a sinful nation is also a a God who can bring hope and salvation too. The God who is almighty, the God who is all-encompassing. Should we see God like that today? Not just present even a God to this world who who loves. It's nice when we can do that. It's nice when an, an officer, a minister can preach to you a nice, lovely message about God loves you. It's nice and comforting. But what about things that are happening in our world today? Should we be reading the signs of the times and asking ourselves... Is God shouting a message at us today as well? Joel thought it had, uh, that uh, the the message had a a message that was very strong and very, very vivid to the people who can see this land being devoured by locusts. He's portraying a nation which is normally prosperous being, being completely devoured by these locusts. But there's always good advice in the book of Proverbs, and here's one. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The people in Judah had everything, material possessions, all the wealth and prosperity they liked, and yet the path they were following was leading to destruction. Do we not live in a world that, for most of us, we have, have everything, enough clothing, enough food, a roof over our heads, a prosperous world, a commercialism world, and yet the, wor- the way that we're going all- also can lead to destruction. And maybe we need to sometimes read the signs of the times for our days.
But as I mentioned earlier, in these ancient texts of Joel are words of hope and of promise and points to the time when a saviour will come to save the world, when the spirit of God will be manifest and when Christ will return in the last days. Here is a prophecy that looks beyond a black sky and beyond a bloodshot moon to a brighter horizon, a time when God's people will repent, a time when God's people will return to the Lord, a time when the nation will be restored into God's presence and covenant. And in chapter 2, Joel gives this wonderful message and this wonderful invitation, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And God will leave a blessing behind him. And you know what? God has not stopped giving that invitation. He is making it today for you and for me to return to the Lord your God. To return. It's about an about turn, isn't it? To, to physically and spiritually return and make a turn. It's where the word conversion comes from. It's an about turn that needs to happen for the people to turn away from the, the direction they're going and to find another way. It may be a narrow way, but a way that leads to God rather than the way that leads to hell and destruction. Our God is just. He does judge but the, the heart of God is love. Whatever we can say about God's judgment and just, uh, justness, it is nothing compared with the steadfast love of God, which abounds. It overtakes anything that's in God's heart about judgment. God doesn't want his creation to be swallowed up by locusts or devastated by droughts and fires, but God's creation can only be renewed when we have a new creation within ourselves. Remember that verse in the New Testament? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and the new creation of the world needs to begin in the hearts of each one of us who believe on Jesus. We need to daily return to the Lord and allow God to do his creative work within us. But turning back to the book of Joel... Isn't that a wonderful thought too? And God will leave a blessing behind him. Don't you like that verse? God will leave a blessing. God may go through the world with judgment, sometimes with destruction, but more than anything else, God will always leave behind a blessing. Only if we're picking that up as we walk with God, as we allow God to walk before us, are we picking up the blessings that God leads? And what another wonderful thought is, as that happens, are we ourselves leaving a blessing behind us? Wherever we travel this week to come, will we leave a blessing behind us too? What a grateful thought, what a wonderful thought rather, that is for us as Christians uh, too. I want to emphasise again that these Old Testament prophecies are not full of doom and gloom, as many people think. And that's possibly why we tend to skip some of these prophetical books because they're just about God's wrath and God's judgment. I'd rather put these, uh, rather skip over these last 12 books of the Old Testament, get into the Gospels and read the good news about Jesus coming. And yet these prophetical books are full of hope, are full of life, are full of light, are full of looking forward to a time when a saviour would come and a time when we can look forward to a saviour coming into the world. Let me just pick some of these verses from Joel out from you. So I hope that you might go back and read the whole of the 
the three chapters. Look at this verse, for example, chapter 2, verse 21. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Surely the Lord has done great things. What about this verse? You will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Or this verse, and it shall come to pass that everyone calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or what about this one? The Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Just a few verses out of Joel, full of hope and salvation and a glorious promise that Judah can pass into a new world and can move forward to a new hope in God. In fact, Joel is so much full of hope that on the day of Pentecost, when Peter came out of that upper room full of the Holy Spirit, he preached a sermon that's recorded, uh, of course, in Acts chapter 2. And of all the places in Scripture that he could have chosen, and of course he couldn't have chosen anything from the New Testament, it wasn't written by then, but of all the Old Testament that Peter could have chosen, he chose the book of Joel. And this is the text from Joel that Peter chose on the day of Pentecost. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. What a tremendous text for Peter to to preach on the day of Pentecost. And such a wonderful sermon it was that that day 3,000 people lined the mercy seat and gave their hearts to Christ, the risen Lord, on the day of Pentecost. As we've already seen, Joel tells us that the day will come when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now he tells us that God will pour his spirit on all people, everyone, Old men, young men, servants, men and women, all people can receive the Holy Spirit of God. This is the spirit which is at the start of Genesis. We're told that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the spirit of God was hovering on the waters. This is the spirit that filled special people in the Old Testament, the prophets of God. This is the spirit which was reserved for the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. But now Joel prophesies a time when all people, when you, you and me and, and all the world can receive God the Holy Spirit so that God doesn't become an idol that we worship, an external God that we can only visit in temples and in churches, but a God that becomes a temple of our own hearts and lives. That everyone can be filled with God himself, the very presence of God himself, God the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter looked back to these words of Joel, and so many people came to accept that invitation and were filled with God the Holy Spirit, a fulfilment of God's promise here in Joel. The climax of God's covenant relationship with his people, that God would not only be with his people in the temples, but will be in his people. That's why we can sing, I would be thy holy temple, sacred and indwelt by thee. And this is the genuine repentance and change that we are, we become, we become changed people, we become sacred and indwelt by the living God. And that's why Joel makes this plea to the people, 
Rend your heart, not your garments. It's a change of heart that's needed. It, it's not you know, about our outward appearance. It's not about that I, I wear a Salvation Army uniform or you put your Sunday best on today. It's not about that at all. It's about our heart. Rend your heart and not your garments to the Lord. And finally this morning, a recurring theme throughout the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. In chapter 1 verse 15, we're told that the day of the Lord is near. In chapter 2 verse 1, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. And verse 11, for the day of the Lord is a great and very awesome day. And in chapter 3, we are once again told that the day of the Lord is near. It comes up over and over again, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is both past and present and near future and far future. Joel talks about a day in the near future when the day of the Lord will come, which will scatter Judah uh, and Israel with the, to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But also Joel points to a day beyond that day, a day when in the last days the Lord Jesus shall return, this time as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I've already mentioned about the Apostle Peter quoting from Joel on the day of Pentecost. And he picks Joel's theme about the day of the Lord and mentions this in his second letter. Peter says this, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth when righteousness dwells. And that is the Christian hope that I want to leave you with this morning. A hope that we all live for. A day of the Lord, when the Lord will come and the Lord will call his people to himself. And a time when the new creation, the new heaven will no longer be in the world or in us, but a time when we can share a new heaven and a new earth with our maker. This is a hope rooted in the minor prophets of Joel, but a hope that we can pick up and move forward to, with today within our own experience and witness. Amen.